Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, somebody from the back will get you a Bible. A couple hands here. <clears throat> I see that hand, I see that hand. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> I used to say that actually. I used to do that. Uh, I see that hand. No one looking around? Nobody's looking around? Um, so the Ravens lost. <laughs> What's that, too soon? Too soon to joke about that. Um, uh, for those of you who are Ravens fan, you've probably been in mourning this, this week, right? Um, but, uh, uh, there's always next year. And New Orleans is a better city than Annapolis, Indianapolis. Amen? I was in Indianapolis um, in October. The city sucks. <laughs> it does. Let's be, let's be honest. Um, so Nor New Orleans will be next year. Uh, for those of you mourning this week, though, um, seriously, uh, there... Uh, I'm joking about mourning, but mourning can be a very, can be a very serious thing, disappointing. Um, uh, about two weeks ago, I was walking down the street, just right out here actually, down McMechan, and uh, was, was feeling uh, down, I think is the best way to put it, just kind of blah, just down. And um, uh, I, I've been reading J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, and I was thinking about this God uh, that I know. And not only this, this God that I know, but this God that knows me, which is even bigger. Um, and not only this God that knows me, but he's actually called me into his service. And I was thinking to myself, like, how often we think of serving someone as, as an honor. So if you're serving, I don't know, the president, what, a, what an honor that would be to, to be in the service of this person. And then when we think, we're in the ser we've been called into the service of the creator of this universe. This God Almighty knows me intimately and has sought me out and has called me into his service. I was like, wow. I was blown away as I'm walking down the street and I, then I'm like, I'm walking like with a spring in my step, you know, like I'm a little happier, I'm walking faster, I'm like looking around at the world all of a sudden, just like this, in a different way, because I, it, it clicked in my mind once again that I'm serving God. I'm serving God. Um, not, for you Ravens fans, that should lift up your spirits, that's not why I say that, I just use that as like some stupid little attention getter. Um, but the reality is, is, is that is who we are. We are servants of the Almighty God, and that's where we're going today in, in Mark uh, chapter 1. Um, it's, uh, Jesus, Jesus calls us into his service. Uh, he is the leader. Have, do you guys ever play Follow the Leader? Um, anybody? Uh, it's a pretty simple game, and that's pretty much what it is with Jesus. Uh, we, Jesus what Jesus does, we're called to do it. We're called to follow him in every way and in everything. Um, so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at a passage here in Mark. 
for those of you who uh, weren't here last week, we're starting a series that's going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, so if you missed last week, you can catch it online uh, to catch up. But we're in Mark chapter 14 through 20 today. We're going to read this. We're going to talk about a uh, piece of Greek history that will help us understand the passage. We're going to then talk about a piece of Jewish history that will help us understand the passage. Everybody say, I love history. And uh, we're going to learn more what it means to be a follower of Jesus today in the 21st century. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 14. God, we do ask that you come and that you move in us uh, these words that we, that we read here in the scriptures. We recognize that they are your word to us. Uh, we ask that your spirit take these words, uh, do something with them in our hearts, uh, convict us in a way that draws us into a deeper and fuller understanding of who, of who Christ is and what it means to be a servant uh, of, of Christ and to be, to be in your service. Um, Anything that I say that is uh, distracting or that uh, I should not say, I just ask that you uh, remove it from our, from our memories. And uh, anything that is said that is of you, we, I ask that, that it sticks. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, um, Jesus is baptized by John. This is the John the Baptist from last week who claimed when he, when he saw uh, this, this Messiah coming, his response was, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoe. The, the most trivial, menial task of service, I'm not even worthy of that. Um, and, and then Jesus comes and he presents himself to John to be baptized, which was this huge I, I can't imagine how humbling that was for John. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus then, it's this powerful thing. We see the, the, the entire, God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son just operating together. And then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to have his, his first meeting with uh, the enemy. And now it says, when John was arrested, Jesus comes into Galilee and begins proclaiming, begins preaching the gospel. So Jesus is the first, and here's this word gospel that we talked about last week. And Jesus is the first person to begin preaching the gospel. And so what is the gospel is the question that we're going to again ask this week. Is the gospel uh, the teachings of Jesus? Merely, the, uh, you know, people say that Jesus was uh, historians who, who don't even believe that Jesus is uh, God or Messiah will say, Jesus had phenomenal teachings. Um, some of the best teachings uh, that, that you can ever come across, uh, is what people will say. Um, are, his, are Jesus' teachings the gospel? Does that sum up the good news? So what is the gospel? They are the teachings of Jesus. Is that correct? Or is the gospel um, uh, Jesus' example? And uh, we, we know that... Uh, Jesus lived, lived the perfect life. He was the example. The, the acts of service that he did blow uh, sociologists away. Um, but was his example the gospel? Is that the good news? Um, or is the gospel a feeling that we have? A feeling of being saved or a feeling of uh, joy or a feeling of peace? Or is the gospel simply a better afterlife than what we currently have now? Uh, Jesus is going around. 
in the Galilee. He's beginning his ministry and it, it, it describes him as preaching the gospel. So is it not a legit question to ask what the gospel is? Um, verse 15, and saying, this is what he's saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So now we have this next question of uh, what, is, what is the kingdom? Last spring, we did this series, The Kingdom and the Gospel, um, which you can also find online to get a broader understanding, deeper understanding into what the kingdom is. But just in a nutshell, the, the prophets, the Jewish prophets, all throughout the scriptures were pointing to this, this coming kingdom, this kingdom of God, this reign of God. I want to read Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, he was a prophet. He saw a uh, vision of the coming Messiah. This is referring to, to the Messiah, referring to Christ. He said this, And to him it was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the prophets had told then of this ultimate successor to the throne of Israel. Here's Israel's throne. Here's Israel's kingdom. And they would, they were, what they would essentially say is, there is one coming who will one day sit in David's seat, who will one day sit in the throne of Israel. And that one will establish a reign. He will establish a, king, a king, kingdom that will never pass away, where God's reign will be completely uh, seen and, and experienced. If we, if we remember Genesis chapter 1, who was... Uh, reigning in Genesis chapter 1? God, right? That's, that's the Sunday school answer. You can give that once in a while. God. God was in, God was in the God seat in Genesis chapter 1. And what was the result? Peace, right? Prosperity, flourishing, complete openness, authenticity, honesty, being real with one another. A, a complete, intimate relationship with this God. And then what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Who's, who sat in the God seat in Genesis chapter 3? Humans did, right? If you know the, the early story of Genesis, we see what we call in, in, in theology, we call it the fall. It's where humans said, I don't want God to be God because I think I can do a better job, so I'm going to take God out of the God seat of my life, and I'm going to sit there myself. And I'm going to kind of do the God thing in my life. I'm going to do the Lord thing of my, in my life. What, what was Satan's temptation? If you eat of the fruit, you will be like God, right? The, the fall wasn't just the fact that they ate some fruit. It's the fact that they wanted to be God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted, to, they wanted that kind of glory and that kind of power over their own life. What is our sin today? If we could boil everything down today, we, we look across our, our city and we look across our world. What is, what is our sin today at the very core? Is it not that we want to be the Lord of our own life? And if someone uh, messes with our lordship, if someone gets in the way of us sitting in our throne, then there's a problem. So Genesis 1, we see God God is completely uh, uh, reigning. God is sitting where he should sit. And then Genesis 3, we see the fall. We see man sitting in the seat that only God should sit. Man begins to rule their own life. And then what's the results? 
murder, death, decay, lies, hypocrisy, covering up. I mean, we can look around our city we can, and we can see this, right? Last, this last week they did the whole reading thing, of, of uh, reading all the uh, murder stories from last year. I saw the mayor yesterday, and she gave a uh, really great speech down at Druid Heights. And uh, one of the things she said that stuck out to me, she said, we had less than 200 murders this year, which is the lowest since 1977. But nobody's popping champagne yet. And I was like, that is a great way to put it. Because 200, less than 200 is still way too high. I mean, it doesn't, we do not have to be convinced. Or it doesn't take much, I should say, to, to convince us that us being in the God seat, us being Lord of our own life, us being, uh, trying, trying to have our own kingdom, trying to reign our own little sphere, it doesn't work very well. People end up in body bags. People take advantage of each other. Of each other. People cheat on each other. People betray one another. And at the core, we're betraying God. And so then there's this coming kingdom, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, this, this kingdom at this time when God's dominion and his glory and his kingdom will be complete, will be, will be seen, will be felt, will be experienced when people from, from every nation and from every language will serve God. Uh, this, this time when this kingdom will, will come and which will last forever, it will never pass away and it cannot be destroyed. This is the kingdom that Jesus was pointing to and he's preaching now the gospel of this kingdom, the good news that is coming with this kingdom. The time is fulfilled, he said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is sort of the crazy thing and this is what brought Jesus a lot of heat. And we're going to see this later on in Mark. Jesus didn't take up arms like they thought he would. Many people thought the Messiah would come in with a sword, would, would gather an army, would do away with all evil uh, through, through slaughter, and then would set up his kingdom right then and there. Jesus didn't come in at this point with swords. He didn't come in with force. What he came in with was this message, repent. And believe a message of repentance. Now, repentance. Everybody say repentance. repentance. It's a big, thick theological word, isn't it? Um, repentance is is this old Jewish term that simply means stop doing what you're doing. All right, stop. All right. It, it means change directions. It literally means uh, if you're walking this way to stop walking that way. That's what repentance means. Stop going down that road. Now, repentance, later in, uh, in other places in the scripture, it says that repentance brings about fruit. And so repentance, then, in and of itself, is not an action. But it's a, chain, it's a complete change in worldview, a perspective shift. It's godly sorrow for the things that you've done, for, for everything that you are, which then, true repentance always brings about fruit, actions. And so he's saying, stop doing what you're doing. Stop that. Repent. Stop going down that road. But he doesn't just call us to stop going that road, but he calls us to something else. He says, instead of doing that, 
I've got something better for you, and that is to believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So now let's spend some time uh, defining gospel. Um, everybody say, ooh. All right, you guys are Greek theologians. Ooh. That means uh, joyful or good. Angelos. News. You didn't have to say news. You didn't have to say angelos either. I didn't even tell you to say that. Euangelos simply means, this is the word for gospel, all right? It means uh, joyful news. Good news. News that brings great joy. News that makes you happy, all right? Now, here's the bit about Greek history. Everybody say, I love history. Say it with, yes, all right. Since you love history so much, I'll tell you. Um, The idea of gospel or the word gospel would not have been new uh, with, with Jesus' teachings. It's not, it wasn't an uncommon word to use in, within the Roman Empire. Um, when Caesar would enter into a new territory and he would go in with military might and he would conquer new lands, this would be known as bringing the gospel of Caesar, the good news of Caesar. If you know anything about Pax Romana, it's this idea of we're going to spread our peace through violence usually, but we're going to spread our peace. We're going we're to expand our territory to take over these uncivilized uh, um, pagans over here. We're going to move in. We're going we're to spread our territory. Ter- territory. We're going to set up, and in doing so, we're spreading the gospel of Caesar, the good news of Caesar. Um, Tim Keller actually points out in, in uh, King's Cross, he says um, that when the Greeks defeated uh, various armies, they would send out uangelizo, which is comes from the same word as gospel, and it's the word that we call, uh, that transliterates into uh, evangelists. So they would send out evangelists into the cities, and they would say, we, we're bringing the gospel of Caesar, we're bringing good news with us, that, that we, we, have, we have conquered, we have fought for you, we have won, and you're no longer slaves but you're now free people. This was very common. Now Jesus is going about not preaching the gospel of Caesar, uh, preaching the gospel of God. And from, the very, uh, uh, from this historical perspective, as we begin to define what is the gospel, what we can see on one hand, and, and this is subtle, but this, this is huge, The gospel is not something, from a historical perspective, it's not something you do. It's not a feeling that you get. It's not an action on your part. From a historical perspective, the gospel is a proclamation of history. It's a proclamation of something that has already happened. And not only is it a proclamation of something that's happened, but it's a a proclamation of something that's happened for you on your behalf, something that's done for you uh, to make your life better. Where the, the evangelists would go out for the Greeks and they would say, we've, we've done this for you, we've fought for you, you're no longer slaves, you're free. The gospel is a proclamation of something 
that's already happened. Do you guys get that? Are you writing that down in big letters? Proclamation of history. It's not a feeling. It's not, it's not just feeling joy. It's not just feeling peace. It's not an action. It's not something that you have to muster up and do and, and, and try, to, try to make God happy with you in some way. It's, it's something that, that is done for us. Um, the, the gospel was, was uh, never a proclamation of something that you had to do. For instance, Jesus' teachings are phenomenal. They are above the rest. But Jesus' teachings in and of themselves are not the gospel. Jesus' actions, his example for us, in and of itself, is not the gospel. The gospel is something that has been done, and and we're simply called to believe it. Um, When we go back to this, this question of what is sort of the biggest thing about Jesus, his teachings, his example... Um, I, for those of you who have been part of the Christian uh, faith for some time now, um, you might, if, if you're kind of new to the Christian faith, um, just block this out, all right? For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you know how we, you know how we it's kind of hip to use the term follower of Jesus now, all right? Because Christians, like, that's too old school, that sounds too religious. And so on our Facebook page, we don't write Christian anymore. We deleted that two years ago. And we write follower of Jesus, right? Now, on one hand, that's, that's true. It's a good description. It's a descriptor I use often. I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's where it can be deceiving, though. Here's where it can... If being a Christian simply means that we follow Jesus, we are pitied. We are, ab- we are, we are we're miserable. If it simply means that we follow Jesus. And here's why. If being a Christian means that we read and learn his teachings and then we do everything he teaches us, and that's what it means, that's how we define Christianity, that's what it means to be a Christian, is following Jesus' teachings, then we've just simply created a new kind of legalism. We're no different than following the law. We have a new law that that we've created. Or, I would say there's two kinds of legalism that, that, that we think of when we, when we say the word legalism. We think uh, Jewish legalism and we think Pauline legalism. So Jewish legalism are folks that follow um, the, uh, uh, the Old Testament and they feel that God, they have to do these things in order for God to be right with them. Pauline uh, legalism, which is something I'm making up right now, but it's something that we've uh, seen for those of us, again, I'm sorry for the, you guys that are new to the Christian faith. This is a bunch of... Uh, rubbish that you don't need to hear, but um, for those of us that grew up in, in the church, uh, many of us sat under Pauline legalism, where you have to follow Paul's teachings, right? And you have to do everything that it says in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, blah, 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 in order for God, to be, for God to be happy with you. The shift we have now is a new kind of legalism where we have to follow Jesus' teachings in order for God to be happy with us. So what I'm saying right now, and I want, I want you to get this, we are to follow Jesus' teachings, by the way. All right? don't, I don't need any emails. Oh, you said we're not supposed to follow Jesus' teachings. That's heresy. I'm never coming back. Um, if, we are to, if that is it, if we just have a new teacher, and we've been given a bunch of teachings, and that's how, we have a, that's how we're now right with God, um, then we just have a new kind of legalism. And there's all these things now that we have to do. Somebody slaps us, we turn the other cheek, you know? And I've never seen anybody do that. Let's try it, Sean. 
I swear, if we keep picking on Sean, he'll move. Like, right? <laughs> One of these that's things. Yeah. Oh, that's the goal. Oh, Andrea, you're so mean to Sean. Gosh. Um, if Jesus' uh, actions, what he did, he was a great example, an example we need to follow. Um, and if that was, that was it, that he was simply the, the perfect human that we ha are now to follow and emulate. Well, that's bad news for me because every day I fail to follow Jesus. Every day. And so if I have to follow Jesus, and that's, that's that, in, in every way, and that's what it means for me to be a Christian, then I'm missing something. And we are all, we are all damned. So what is the gospel of Jesus? Um, we, in the, the, the wording here in these two verses point us to something. And I want to I just briefly point it out. In verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. I, I don't believe Mark, when he was writing this, um, I, I don't believe it was an accident that he wrote when, when John was arrested, Jesus began preaching the gospel. I think he's getting at something there. It's the same word. That word arrested, is the, it's the word for handed over. And it's the same word that's used in chapter 9, chapter 14, and chapter 15 multiple times, every time used to refer to Jesus being handed over. So there's something, even in this beginning proclamation of the gospel, that's pointing us to suffering. The gospel begins with suffering. Out of all the gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark Luke, and John, out of all, all the words that it says, everything, everything that it tells us, everything that it says, 40% of the gospels have to do with the last week of Jesus' life. 40% of the gospels have to do with the last week of Jesus' life. Now, Jesus taught a ton, probably more than we can imagine. And we have some of his best teaching preserved for us right here. Jesus did phenomenal things. So many miracles that there's not enough books in the world to hold them all. And we have some of his best preserved for us right here. But 40% of the Gospels focus on the last week of Jesus' life. That's pointing us to something. That's telling us something. There's something about Christ's suffering that is good news for us. Now, going back, going back to this. Jesus is, is preaching. Um, not the gospel of Caesar. He's not saying that, that Caesar has conquered and we have new land now. He's not preaching uh, your gospel saying, hey, uh, you guys are all freed people and you can do whatever you want to do, right? That's the other whole, uh, going back, like, that's the other thing, like this, this idea of grace. Now that means we can do whatever we want to do, right? That's just simply allowing us to stay the center of our own little dominion and call it grace. So Jesus isn't preaching your gospel saying, You've, you're free now to do whatever you want to do. He's saying there is the kingdom of God that is at hand. God's reign. God is sitting back in the throne. And he's preaching, he's preaching this gospel not about God. It's not defining his attributes or his characteristics. It's not just a bunch of theology that he's, he's talking about. But it's, it's specifically good news from God. This is 
a gospel that has been uh, uh, written, created, and delivered by God himself through Jesus and, uh, and, and God's rule and his reign is established. Now his first act in, uh, in his ministry, we see in the next couple verses. So read along with me in verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus begins his kingdom ministry. The, 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 the good news of the kingdom is, is, uh, of God's kingdom is here. This is what it is. And what he does to launch that kingdom, uh, to launch that ministry, pro, that uh, kingdom proclamation ministry, if you could, if you could put it that way, uh, he doesn't throw like a big kickoff party or like a big launch, or a shebang. What's a shebang? I don't know. But he didn't throw a shebang. Um, Jesus, to, to launch his ministry, simply calls four guys into relationship with him. Nothing major, nothing huge. There's no fireworks. He calls four guys into relationship with him. Now, here's the bit about Jewish history. Everybody say, I love history. history. Alright. Um, this would have been completely unheard of within the Jewish culture. What we know of early Jewish culture, um, rabbis would never approach someone and ask them to come be their disciple. It would never happen. If you wanted to study underneath a rabbi, what you would do is, is check out the rabbis, um, find the, the rabbi that you like, the various teaching that you like, the interpretations that you like, and then you would essentially submit an application. You would, you would go up to that rabbi and you would ask if you could follow him. You would ask if you could be his disciple. And then he might look at you and a couple others and then he would, he would, he would choose. Jesus doesn't have people come up to him and seek him out. The only way to become a follower of Jesus is if Jesus seeks you out and calls you to be his disciple. He, he goes to these guys who, by the way, were fishermen. Now, the fact that they're fishermen um, would tell us that uh, they, they probably were not um, good enough at some point to be an understudy of a rabbi. Um, either they had maybe applied at one time and got rejected, or maybe uh, they just never even considered it something that they would, they would ever be able to do. They're not theologians. These guys aren't uh, phenomenal spiritual leaders. These are guys who um, at some point decided that following a rabbi was not going to be for them or they got rejected. 
And so they're fishermen. At the same time, though, let's not, n let's not knock fishing, all right? Um, not that I'm a big fishing fan, you know, Kasim. These guys, these guys aren't, when we think fishing today, it's not what they're doing, all right? These guys aren't like rednecks on the pier, all right? Drinking a natty bow, casting a line. Um, fishing was a huge industry, a huge industry in the first century Mediterranean world. Fish, not meat, was the primary food. So they're not eating hot dogs, they're eating uh, fish tacos, right? And so to be a fisherman then, uh, and actually there's historians that talk about around this time, how the, uh, talk about the fishing trade and, uh, um, and talk about how there, there were hundreds of fishing vessels on the water in the Mediterranean um, at any time, hundreds of them. So this is high competition to be a fisherman. So the fact that these guys are fishing, the fact that they're fishermen, means that they are, they've put in their time. They've put in their work into their business. These guys are, are wise, successful businessmen. But look what happens when Jesus calls them. He calls them in verse 17, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men in verse 18. And immediately they left their fishing nets. Immediately, they walked out of their 13th floor office. Immediately, they, they quit. Do you understand what this means for us? That these guys dropped everything that they have worked for? Jesus called and all of a sudden, Jesus became the number one priority in their life? Do you understand what that means for those of us who, who talk about, like, we, we want to be able to mentor an at-risk youth or be able to get into somebody's life in a certain way, yet we just don't have the time to do so? Do you understand what that means for us? Do you understand what it means for us who say, man, I really want to get more involved in the life of of faith community and serve more and, 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 and serve each other more, but I just don't have the time because I'm doing this, this, and this. Do you, know what this? do you know what this is calling us to do? Everything that they've worked for, they dropped their nets and Jesus became their number one priority. We cannot follow Jesus unless he calls us and when he calls us, he requires everything that we are. One way that I put it occasionally is the gospel is completely free and all it requires is everything you are. Jesus doesn't want a piece of you. He wants everything. He wants you. He wants your job. He wants your, your relationships. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, once wrote, the call of Jesus is always a call to come and die, to give up everything that you are and to die. And my dad told me once, he, he was talking about what it means to die to ourselves. Um, a, a, or another way to put it is, in the Bible, a living sacrifice. What does that mean, to be a living sacrifice? My dad, I remember when I was in high school, he said this, and it stuck out to me. He said, um, uh, it's, it would be much easier for me to be a dead sacrifice than it is to be a living sacrifice. 
in some ways it would be easier to literally give up my life for someone or to, to die in some way than it is to every day wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to completely resign everything that I am to God. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. This idea then, I mean, there are so many so-called quote-unquote Christians out there, right, who um, uh, have, they're, they're a Christian and repentance has never been part of their Christianity. Which is funny, isn't it? Like how, isn't it funny that we can actually lead someone to Christ today in, in our Christian culture and never actually call them to repentance? We can sort of get them to believe four or five or maybe three things or maybe even two if you're really good. Like you can get them to believe just a couple things and say a three-minute prayer and then they're good to go and you assure them, no, you're a Christian. I wrote your name down when you prayed that prayer. You're a Christian. They're like, I don't know if I am. Like, no, but you are. They might not be, all right? Godly sorrow may have never been part of their conversion, they may have never completely understood that they are sinners, that they are broken, that, that, that they need God, that they need Christ to, 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 to save them. And so we have many like so-called quote-unquote Christians then who, um, uh, who love the idea of having a, giving God a piece of themselves. And, and they're actually proud of these things they won't say it this way, but, but essentially they're proud of the fact that they'll give God a piece of themselves, yet the reality is, is they can do whatever they want to do, or they can, still, uh, they can still enjoy the world. And again, they wouldn't put it that way, but that's essentially what, what they would be saying. Jesus requires every bit of us. When Jesus calls, his, his call means to come and die to yourself, Jesus wants priority over everything that you are, over your friendships. Uh, he wants priority over your money. He wants priority over your sexuality. He runs, wants priority over your family. He wants priority over your career. And he wants priority over football and movies and everything else. Like, to, to, let's think about it. Do you love Jesus more than all of these other things? Like for some of you, you'd be like, oh yeah, I definitely love Jesus more than my job. Definitely. Uh, do I love him more than football? Ah, I don't know. Well, you might, now you might say you do. But maybe not last week, right? Think about your emotions. Think about the, the attractions that you have in this world to certain things or to certain people. Do they match the attractions that you have to Christ? Can you say that I love Christ more than anything? When you know that Christ is calling you to get your hands dirty in some way and you're too lazy and, and, and you're, I don't know, putting on your third movie on your Netflix queue, do you love Christ more than Netflix at that moment? When nobody's around and your fingertips are on the keyboard and you're, 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 you're getting into some pornography. Do you love Christ more than pornography? When you're doing those little habits that you've hid from everyone. 
Do you love Christ more than those habits? Like, do you, is Christ really the center of everything? Has he completely grabbed every bit of you? Is he the priority over every piece, every aspect of your life? And then the kingdom work that we are called to do, um, it, it's, it's very broad and it's going to be, we're, throughout Mark we're going to be talking about a lot of aspects of what it means to serve Jesus in this way and, and to essentially be a Christian. Um, but at the core, and what Jesus begins with, is this, this call to follow me and then I will make you Fishers of men. Now this is the crazy thing. Jesus, when he calls, his disciples, when he calls us, he's calling us to do what he's doing. This goes back to this idea of follow the leader, to follow him. So Jesus is now going and he's, he's searching out the disciples. He's finding the disciples and he's calling them to repent and believe. And now he's calling his disciples to do the same thing and to make fishers of men with the same kind of intensity that you've been putting into uh, your fishing practice, your business, waking up every morning with this, this has been on your mind to go to work. Uh, and what time do you fish? these guys go to work? Probably four or five in the morning. Um, hard labor all day long, coming back in, a lot of work, then cutting open the fish, and that's nasty. A lot of work, a lot of strategy, a lot of effort, And Jesus is saying, I now want you to take that same kind of effort, the same kind of energy, and put that into humans. Put that into people. Point men to me. Go out and find people. Call men to repent and believe. Um, When we remember, like last week, we talked about how... uh, uh, John, John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal, to take, to take off his sandal, or maybe to wash his feet. It would probably be sort of that act of what he was, would be referring to. He's not, even referring, or he's not even worthy of doing the smallest thing. And then when we begin to understand that Jesus has actually called us um, into his service. He's, he's busted down the door of our hearts and he's grabbed us, he's found us, and, and against, uh, 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 com- completely apart from my desire for my life, from, from my will for my life. Guys, honestly, if, if, I, if it was left up to me, I would never choose Christ. If it was left up to me, I would always choose sin. And I, and I know that because that was my life for so long. If it's left up to me, I will always choose to put myself in the God seat. Christ has busted down the door of my heart and he has saved me apart from my doing, apart from my works. And, and not only has he saved me, but this, this Christ who I'm not even worthy to do the smallest service for, he's now called me to follow him and to do what he's doing. To serve him in that way and to point people to him. I have this picture 
on my computer that I look at once in a while, and it's of this janitor uh, in the White House, and he's bumping fists with the president. And I love that picture. It just says so much, doesn't it? Um, And I would imagine that guy, if you ask him, would be pretty proud to be in the service of the president. He'd be pretty proud, you know. I mean, even if he's, shoot, even if he's a Republican, he's still going to be like, hey, I'm, by the way, I'm working for the president. You know, I just bumped his, we just, we, we do this every day. You know, he sings a little Al Green to me as he walks by. Um, he would be very proud to be in his service. Uh, I would imagine these evangelists that would go out on behalf of Caesar into the cities to proclaim the good news would be proud to be serving directly for Caesar. Man, like, how often do we forget this? How often do we fail to be proud of the fact that we are serving God? That Jesus has found us and he has called you. Come, follow me. Serve me. If anything should wake us up in the morning, if anything should energize us to live our life, to move beyond the fact that the raven's lost or whatever it is that's going on in your life, to move beyond, to remember we are in the service of the almighty God. That's all I need. And I can do that anywhere. I can do that everywhere. Now, the question I want to I uh, leave you with is this. Are there nets in your life that you have to drop? Are there any nets? Um, it could be career ambitions that are, uh, that are robbing you of everything that you are. It could be uh, the nets of, of uh, um, uh, laziness. The fact that you just can't get out the door, do anything. Uh, it could, could be the nets of uh, fear or the nets of, of wasted time. When we consider the fact that, that Christ is knocking at your door, he's calling you. What are you, what are you hanging on to in your life? And see, and here's, here is the good news. And this is the only news that allows us to completely drop it all and to walk free. It's the fact that, that Christ is, has essentially said, I died on the cross when you did not believe. When you were still hanging onto your nets. When you still had so much that you wanted of you. When you still, when you didn't get it right, when you didn't believe right, when you weren't acting right, I died on the cross for you then. I've come for you then. You don't have to clean up first. When, when we do this, um, when we recognize that Jesus has called us, when we recognize that, that the gospel is something that is done for us and it, it saves us, and we are now freed up to drop the nets. We are freed up to climb out of the seat, the throne of our own lives, and put Christ there. We're freed up now to follow Christ, to cross mountains and seas, to go to places where we might get hurt, to point men to Christ. 
when we get freed up in that way, there will be a movement across this city. I mean, imagine if, if those of us sitting in this room right now took this, had this kind of intensity with our faith. The same, whatever it is that's most important, for some of you it might be job, for some of you it might be school, for some of you it might be movies, I don't know what it is for you. Um, whatever is most important, if we gave Christ the complete supremacy and priority in our life and we followed him with that kind of intensity, there would be a movement in our city. There would be a movement in our city where thugs drop their guns, where hustlers drop their drugs, where bigots drop their prejudice because people will be, they, they will see Christ. They'll see Christ. And, and they will repent, they will stop moving that direction, and they will believe the gospel. That's what we're called to. That's our mission that we're on. And that should motivate us. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. God, I do ask that, that you, uh, you take whatever is of you this morning and just nail it down in our hearts. Um, we do want to be a church. We want to be a people that, uh, that is genuine, that is Israel, that is, that is truly following Christ with everything that we are. God, as, as we go out of here, I ask that you... Uh, that we do go out of here as this, uh, this army, if you would, as this, this people um, who is uh, um, actively going to put, make Christ the priority of our lives, of every aspect of what we do, and with the same kind of intensity that we've been doing, whatever we've been doing, uh, we want Christ to be, to be right there. And, uh, and we do ask that a movement... Um, of your spirit will move across this city and that you will draw people to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.